Hello, this is John Huary, and welcome to another episode of Community Intelligence, where we explore how leaders engage and build community. In this episode, you'll hear from Vanessa Delgado, managing partner of Azure Development, a real estate company that works closely with locals to ensure that developments reflect the real needs and desires of the communities they're in. I met Vanessa in her office in Southeast Los Angeles to discuss how she incorporates community intelligence into the earliest stages and at the core of her work. This process of true community engagement continues to produce unexpected benefits and surprising insights that lead to better developments and stronger communities. What's sort of an area where you do most of your work? Right now we're focused in Boyle Heights, East LA, and then we started to um, do projects like in Bellflower area and Bell Gardens. So, so branching so, out. So sort of Southeast LA, East, Los, east side of Los Angeles, and why these communities? Uh, I always like to put it as these are the kind of communities that I grew up in, and so I'd like to give back to places um, that gave back to me. And so I'm looking across at you and I'm thinking, okay, you're not much older than I am. <laughs> Your story probably started in the 80s, right? 70s, okay. yeah, 70s, yeah. Okay. So what is that story like? So what was your, where did you grow up and what was that like? And how did that sort of inform where you are today? Yeah, um, it's really why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. Um, I grew up in Boyle Heights. I went to schools in uh, the area with my family. I have a very large Mexican family. And um, I got a scholarship when I was little to go to private school. I took the RTD back in the day to school two hours each way. And I just got a lot of opportunities in life from it. And so that, growing up in that big family, but then sort of removed, like, because you're now in the, in the private school and you're the only one in the family that did this? I was the only one, yeah. My, um, my grandmother really pitched to this teacher. He selected two kids with no methodology, really, to really change their life. I'd never met or interacted with anybody who wasn't of my race, Mexican, in my life. Until what age? At that time, I was 11. Wow. And so I was sent to a school called Chandler. They paid for in our Pasadena. In Pasadena, they paid for our tuition, and and gave me opportunities that I, I could have never imagined. And so from there, what what was the trajectory? So then I went to high school in Pasadena. I went to Westridge School for okay. Girls, um, and then after that, I got to go to Stanford and USC. Um, just amazing. But I vowed to always come back to the communities I grew up in to give back there, and that's what I'm doing. So you come back, so you graduate Stanford and then go to USC for yeah, masters? I did. I got a master's of public administration. At USC, great, at the Price School, mm-hmm. great program. And then you say, okay, I made a commitment, so here I am. So what do you, what's the first thing you do? Okay, so this is where um, I think everybody's life story, no matter how well mapped out, I had it at 21, um, takes a bit of turns, right? So I studied uh, to become a city manager, okay. and I worked for three cities looking for the right one. Here in Southern California? Mm-hmm. I worked for the cities of Pico Rivera, Anaheim, and Downey in old redevelopment. Mm-hmm. I did redevelopment. And I didn't, it wasn't my calling. My mom was devastated, because I'd vested already in the system. <laughs> and, um, but I decided that it wasn't for me. And so I was 25 years old, and looking for what thrilled me in life career-wise, I had a five-month-old daughter, I was married, but getting a divorce early. And so it was one of those things. Like twists and turns. Yeah, like what, what's gonna fuel my um, career passion if I'm gonna leave my daughter every day to go do this? And I quit my job, admire that 25 year old. I quit my job to become a developer. And I had nothing. And for those who, who may not know, a developer, you don't just 
develop, there's a process here, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are, the, what are the key components you need to be a developer? Usually some equity yeah. is, is money. in mind. Yeah, <laughs> money would be good. Yeah, I was 25, getting a divorce, and had a five-month-old. Uh, and I worked in, in government, um, but I had a passion for transforming communities and a desire to work really hard. That's all I really have ever known all my life. Um, I didn't build anything in those two years, not surprisingly, but I did everything from permit expediting to joining project teams. I was a planning commissioner in my city of Pico Rivera at the time, um, so I got to learn a lot. And that was an appointee by the council? The council, yes. Okay. Um, and then I got a job offer for one of my clients to join their firm, and I thought I'd do that for a few years and then go back to having my own company. Mm -hmm. Um, but I stayed with that company, Prime Store, for 11 years. Yeah. And we built um, 3 million square feet of shopping centers. Around the region? Yeah. In California, Nevada, oh, Arizona, wow. and Arizona. Okay. Yeah, so it was, it was great. Amazing opportunity. And what you, what you learn out of that about the community? Because I'm going to come back to the community here with you. You're now working for another company. Someone else is in charge. Mm -hmm. But you're doing community change through shopping center development. Mm -hmm. uh, you really, you know, shopping centers oftentimes are like the face of a community, right? You drive through and that's what you see. Though you may have tremendous economic development in an office building, you don't really see what's happening on the inside of the shopping center. It's right there. Yeah. It's look, it's feel. What's that like? What's the approach that you're taking in that, in, at that phase? You know, Prime Store really gave me the opportunity to learn from people who, who were just great at uh, being community builders. And I have a passion for serving the community. I committed to my grandmother when I was little that I would do that. And uh, Prime Store allowed me to do that. We did almost all public-private partnerships. Okay. So we did a project in Pacoima called Plaza Pacoima um, where we literally allowed the community to pick what site plan they wanted. I wanted to build a, this fabulous target with restaurants on top of it. Um, it was a large property. And there was another site plan that Costco was willing to sign a living wage ordinance uh, with the Lowe's and a Best Buy. It just didn't seem as thrilling, but the community wanted the living wage jobs. And so, although I always thought, God, it would be so much more fun to build this lifestyle center for the community, the, the right thing for that community was jobs. And so, being a part of something like that, where we really drew, like we just gave back, um, it made me feel like, although it was working and, and made a good salary, it was worthwhile because I was helping people get uh, some benefit. And so you've made a commitment. You're now in this, this gig, you're all over three states doing this work. Why'd you leave? That's a really good question. Um, I've been in business for myself for three years now. And when uh, I look at making payroll and you know the, the trials and tribulations of a small business, I wonder why. I left that uh, very comfortable environment. Um, we finished a shopping center. Most of our work became work that we did for Kelsters, uh, mm -hmm. the teacher's retirement fund. And uh, so they were very large projects. Uh, we had a $100 million project uh, in Southgate called Azalea. That was really a passion of mine, like one of my children almost. It took four years, and I broke my teeth from the stress level of that project. But it was so rewarding. And we won national awards for it. Um, and what was, it, what was it about it that made it so special? Besides that it was a huge project, and, and to deliver a huge project is always exciting. Yeah, um, because I got to, I'd been able to use all the skills that I'd learned over those 11 years on this last one to make it everything that that community deserves. So it was a brownfield project. Okay. We got to clean it up. Um, we got to work with uh, uh, these women who were leaders in the community. 
uh, to really make sure the community benefits were what they should be, uh, which was led by the Police Officers Associ Association there. And uh, we have on that project living walls um, in an area like Southgate. I mean, I remember people telling me, you can't make it that nice because people here are not gonna take care of it. Hmm. And it's shocking that people have that attitude about areas that just deserve this. And um, the problem with that project in some people's eyes is that um, this was a recession, 2010. Mm -hmm. And so no anchor tenant would sign on for that project but Walmart. And I'd never built a Walmart in Los Angeles. It is incredibly controversial. Uh, I have, um, you know, I, I have dedicated my life to doing projects that give back and some people feel that uh, that's not uh, the type of tenant that will give back. But in this particular project, they committed to doing prevailing wages on their project, uh, so using union labor to, uh, too, uh, and they gave back uh, grants and community uh, benefits. So we then asked the community. We knocked on 4,000 homes and asked. As a developer? As a developer. I went myself, too, because I wanted to hear directly. And we knocked on 4,000 homes, and 86% of that community said we want the Walmart. And so we went back to the city council. This is a public-private partnership, mind right. you. Um, and we told them that. And that Walmart helped us secure 40 other tenants in that shopping center. And uh, yeah, we hired 1,500 people on that project. And uh, that project did so well that the city of Southgate, I think last year, got a $5 million check for their public participation in the project, aside from everything else that they get in sales tax. Just a check. That's a benefit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's an exciting project to model. You glossed over something there in the middle in, yeah. the, in the last couple of years, right? So you went from working for someone else mm -hmm. to working for yourself, but what happened in the mix there? Oh gosh, see now this is this is a good yeah, this is a because good Because a good context for what you're doing here now. Yeah. So it was really my daughter. Um, I had gotten to the point at Prime Store where uh, we were doing wonderful projects, but we finished the my last big one. Um, and I had really wanted uh, my work to benefit my family personally and to be able to do things that were a little bit more creative, housing, um, and that wasn't available where I was. And so I thought a lot about it. And uh, my daughter and I used to tell each other bedtime stories. She was 13, but it was our way of communicating to each other super honestly. And I would always talk to her about facing her fears and conquering the things that scare her. And uh, sm starting a small business after my failure at 25 mm -hmm. was the scariest thing I could ever think of doing. And she told me a bedtime story where I was the heroine that was afraid to pursue her dreams. And that was to start her own company. And it, it, was, it was heartbreaking for her to so openly show me that all the, and she said, she tells her daughter to pursue her dreams, but she won't do it. And it was... As a parent, you think, wow. Yeah, yeah. How can I, how can I be that example for her if I'm not willing to do it? Um, so we went on a spring break uh, to Jamaica, and I thought a lot about it. And when I got back, I, I resigned. And uh, it's been the scariest thing I've ever done. Every day I face my fears, but it's completely rewarding. Um, we have an all-female, all-Latina firm now. There's four of us. I didn't do that intentionally. Uh, but I think that that speaks to, um, I'm trying to support 
non-traditional uh, people in our field. Um, and I think it's also about the communities that we try to service. Right. So I'd love for it to be more diverse. You know, with, I'm not opposed to any right. men you know, being involved in the firm or anything I like that. I felt very welcome when I walked yeah, in. Yeah, it's okay, yeah, but, um, but it, is, it is very scary. And uh, I'm proud that we've celebrated three years and that we're working on the projects that we have. And so right now, uh, and we'll get into those projects in just a minute, right now you've got, um, I know one very recently high profile project approved. Mm -hmm. How many projects are in the pipeline and what status are they at? So, um, a little bit like the time I started my business when I was 25. Uh, this time, I also don't come from you know, a family of means or right. anything like that. Um, so, I didn't have a lot of capital. Um, so, that was one of the reasons why I was so fearful. When I first began my company, it was by consulting for others. Gotcha. Something that a lot of small businesses have to do mm -hmm. as we look for our projects. In development, you don't actually get paid from the projects you own until you're in construction or you sell them or they're in operation. So we consulted for uh, other developers and then we got a contract with CVS Pharmacy. Um, they wanted to have us help them project manage and do construction management. So we have 14 CVS Pharmacies that we're building throughout LA. Awesome. Yeah, and it's been great. So let's talk about that for a moment. Here's a national brand who is coming to a, a huge market like LA that is diverse. If you're building 14, mm -hmm. those are not the same neighborhoods everywhere you go. You're managing construction, but that means that you're in a place. How do you help them connect with the community? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a really great question, and CVS is so open to it. Um, they have programs where they try to find and groom people from the community to become pharmacists, because they want the pharmacist to be a person of trust. And so we, we try to connect them to leaders in the community, and it's very diverse. I mean, we're opening a, a CVS this weekend, actually, in Redondo Beach. So it's, that's a unique community. Right unto itself, but we're also doing, we did one on Adamson Central right. in Los Angeles. We did one on Washington and Hoover. Yeah. Uh, so completely different, you know, right. LA is so diverse. Right. So we one neighborhood to the next, you're in a different community, different, different makeup. Yeah, and so what we really are is a local voice in trying to help them understand, uh, you know, who's on the neighborhood council right. and what are their needs. Um, for me, uh, no matter what community we're working with, it's about respecting the places that we're in and that we are guests there. And so we have to make sure that whatever we're doing adds to that community. And so that's how we approach everything from CVS to um, you know, the larger projects we're working on. So tell me about, uh, let's, let's talk about your larger project for a minute. Mm -hmm. The one in Boyle Heights. Yeah. I know it's very personal to you. Yeah. So tell me what we need to know. Yeah, so um, I told you a little bit about uh, my roots. I started in Boyle Heights um, and uh, I was sent away um, school um, but I always knew that my my ultimate vision and dream of life was to somehow give back to that those areas uh, but specifically Boyle Heights um, so this is the fulfillment of my life stream and it is technically our first affordable housing project um, so there was an RFP that the city of Los Angeles issued uh, it's an old uh, redevelopment property that the city is acquiring and uh, it's a small property. It's only about half an acre. And so I knew that other affordable housing developers were not gonna bid on it. But there was something about my, uh, my grandmother died when I was 13, but uh, I had committed to her that uh, I would come back and do something in that area. And so there was something about 
that property that called to me. I remember when it was a laundromat and she would take us there. Wow. So you had a connection to this property already? Already. And I know it had been vacant for so long. I didn't know why. Now I know why. Um, but so we bid on it and uh, we, we got it. We assembled a great team um, and made sure that there was others who had the affordable housing experience on the team. And uh, we were able to get it uh, under contract with the city, an ENA, uh, exclusive negotiation agreement. And uh, we began the project. But it took a bit of a turn in 2000, uh, I believe it was 2017, when we began trying to understand what we were gonna build on that project. There was an article that was headlined by the Los Angeles Times that I believe the headline was the rise in homelessness in the Latino community. And it was a profile about a, a man in Boyle Heights who was living in a park, Hollenbach Park. And uh, the cover story was about my uncle. It was jarring to see him as the face of homelessness um, on the front page of the LA Times. And I, I felt like it was a call to action. And so we turned that project from that those moments forward into a project that would um, house homeless families. Uh, it's now permanent supportive housing. Not, so not just affordable, it's permanent supportive housing. Permanent supportive housing for 44 families. Amazing. Yeah, and I, I think that personal thing where it was my uncle on the front page and the fact that my grandmother had asked me to commit to using the opportunities I was given in life to help others is why I was inspired to name it after her. It's called La Guadalupe and um, I believe it, she, I consider her a community leader. She inspired me to be whatever I wanted to be. And in Mexican families, you don't always have that kind of encouragement. Uh, I wanted to, you know, really be anything professionally that I wanted to. And my grandmother, who, um, you know, raised 10 kids as her full-time job, thought that I shouldn't be fearful of anything, so. So you've done this project, that work, Inspired. And in context, I mean, 44 support, permanent supportive housing units for families is a huge uh, boon for that region, for that community, because of the issue facing this region and this nation as it relates to homelessness. Mm -hmm. So what's your key to successfully working with community? Is it the secret silver bullet? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I think if, uh, if there was, um, I would have gotten it right. <laughs> over time. Who says you've gotten it wrong, though? I've made mistakes. We all make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. So what mistake have you made that, that you wouldn't do again in relation to the community? Um, there's one project that, I'll, that still haunts me to this day. Um, I don't even remember the time. Gosh, it might have been 2015 or so, or 16. I, I was at Prime Store. Uh, we were we uh, bid on a project for uh, Mayachi Plaza. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is, yeah, incidentally, right across the street from La Guadalupe. At the time, I was still trying to pursue this, you know, promise I'd made to my grandmother that I would do something to help the community. And so we were awarded this project from Metro. But at the time, Metro had a process that said that we were not allowed to engage the community about our concept. And yeah. I want to unpack, what, why, what were they thinking? They wanted to make it fair. And I understand that. Make it fair. Oh, you mean that you weren't? So they said, while you're developing your proposal, you're not supposed to talk to the community? Exactly. Got it. It wasn't that once you won the award, you couldn't talk to the community. No, no, okay. no. It so was it, just during the process. So the idea, what? 
So the concept is yeah. good, a good one. The yeah. concept, right? In principle, it's it's a good principle. Don't mislead the community. Right, right. right. Don't make, you know, we, we all know some developers make promises, as pretty pictures, and, and don't use that um, as a tool to engage the community that it, if you're not going to get selected. or right. You know, I understand the Makes concept sense. of it. But that because of time and a lot of issues related to redevelopment or whatever was going on, the proposal sat um, at Metro for, I believe, a year and a half. Wow. I believe, or it was just a long time. So by the time our proposal came forward, we had warned, like, please don't. This is just the highest and best use. Right. Ultimately, the right thing, like the Plaza Bequim example, will come from the community. Right. It has to be done together. Well, it didn't quite go that way. Um, during the early hearings, people started coming to express their discontent with the proposal we had. It was an all-commercial proposal. Uh, there was a lot going on in Boyle Heights at the time. And this is before you actually got the award. Right. But I can understand why our proposal was scary. It had a large parking structure. Uh, it had offices. Um, if it wasn't the right thing, we would have thrown that away and done something co collaborative with the community. But there's no way for them to know that if we can't talk to them. And so through the process of the hearings related just to the exclusive negotiation agreement, more and more people became angry at the proposal. Now, there's, there's a silver lining to this. Uh, Frank Store did not get to move forward with that project, and, and it's, it's really not of Metro or Prime Store's fault. I think there was the right intentions. But it's a big lesson. If the community is not involved from day one, it's not a winning formula. Right. So Metro has completely changed their process. So that's the silver lining. Uh, Metro now has revised their entire process of how they engage the community through art. It seems like whenever you're involved with something challenging, the result is benefit for the future. I Whether would like an, to an think election that. Or a <laughs> that's the way I'd like to see life. I didn't get to work on that project, but you know. So when is the beginning then? Let's, let's, when do you engage the community? Because the beginning could be, okay, we're about to break ground, or the beginning could be, I'm thinking about the neighborhood. Yeah. What, what do you think? Well, when I was in the city of Montebello, uh, my preferred strategy, because uh, I learned from that example, obviously, so being in the, um, the, having the ability to drive that agenda forward, my philosophy now is to create framework for development um, through an EIR or a general plan, of, uh, a specific plan of some sort, with some general parameters and then do an RFQ and invite the developers to showcase what they've done. Um, give us a concept, some concepts, but not, a, not the pretty pictures because right. I can't, you can't rely on that at that early stage. And then award based on somebody's experience and track record and ability to deliver a project in that community. And then go through a process of creating a project with the community. Um, I think that's the best way to do it. What if, I, what if you were doing a public process? What if it was, hey, we, we see this property, it was someone gave it to me or I've got a partnership and we want to develop something. Mm -hmm. What's your first step? Now, um, we're doing a project like that in Bellflower. Okay. Um, so it's a small shopping center. It's an acre and a half. Um, and my thoughts in the beginning are always to start with what I call stakeholder meetings. Um, in that community, there's a townhome community that's right next door, an HOA. And then we have the Chamber of Commerce that's very active. And then obviously the city. And uh, I don't engage uh, elected officials in that stage because uh, I do, actually having been in that experience, I actually make it a point to make sure that it stays with staff uh, at that level. And so I'm actually going to um, the uh, townhome 
uh, HOA next Tuesday to present our early ideas and ask them what they think. They're going to be next door. Yeah. And so before we submit to the city, even, we're going to go to the HOA. And you don't have to do that. No. no. And, but this is the process you've learned. Um, and then how do you incorporate that insight? So let's say, let's say this is, this is, oh, sorry, this is great, but, right? That's the, and they give you the answer. They say, hey, it needs more trees, or the parking should be in the back and not the front, or too much parking, or not enough, right? They give you some idea. Yeah. How do you take it and really use it? Because you can't, you can't do everything for everything because the project may not pencil out. You can. You can. So what, what, what's the way you, you manage their feedback as a way you incorporate it? Yeah, and, and I, I, at this point in my career, understand that I'm not going to be able to make everybody perfectly happy with every project. But usually the feedback that we get are things that I'm not aware of that we're doing. So for example, um, I already anticipate things like uh, more trees, the lighting not coming onto their side, the, the speakers of the, the uh, hopefully, uh, drive through Starbucks, uh, facing out into the street. Anything uh, but types of tenants they want to see. But sometimes there'll be something that I'm not aware of. Uh, some problem, like the speeds on their street are, are too excessive or um, they have parking problems that I can accommodate into the plan. And if I do it now, it doesn't cost anywhere near as much as if it's past the hearings uh, or once it's already open. So I guess I go in there with the, uh, with the mantra of if I come early and get your feedback now, I can actually implement what you're asking me to do and try to do as much of it as I can. And, and have you seen that, like if someone says, hey, this you know, speeding issues is, have you seen them like, great, you've so, I, I, not, I don't love the, the color you chose for the yeah, building, yeah. but you fixed that so we're really happy and supportive. Have you seen that be the case? Yeah, I think if you respect um, and listen to the community and, and truly from the beginning and throughout, um, that it, it really does translate into um, a community feel for it. Um, if you hire people from the community, um, small businesses. It really, I mean, it's the small stuff, things that I think really do make the difference. So how does that mean for approvals for you? So even if it's not a city property or a public partnership that you're doing, if it's just a privately owned property, sometimes there's discretionary actions or there's CUPs or some sort of action by a city body, whether it's a commission or a council. How does get, getting that community engagement benefit you? Have you seen it manifest in a benefit by starting early versus the required notification for the hearing? I mean, usually, yeah, it, it does translate to people actually supporting you when you're going before uh, the approval body. Uh, for La Guadalupe, we just did that last month. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I uh, first came to, to see your group, um, I was nervous about the hearing and how it was gonna go. But we had worked for years with um, stakeholders in the community, and we got 11 letters of su support for the hearing and the unanimous approval the Planning Commission was very kind about all the benefits that we were providing in the project. So um, I think that those types of results are possible because there's a true respect for approaching community. What do you think stops people from getting it? Because there's, for every one of you, there's dozens who don't get it, right? I see them, you see them, right? You've had to help them, those that right, they hire you when, when there's an issue. What do you think stops people, what makes them fearful for engaging the community? That's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. True. And it's work that most people don't like to do. Um, 
we are doing a project in Bell Gardens. We're building uh, 48 townhomes that I call workforce housing. They're affordable at $450,000 for uh, a home. Uh, and then we're trying to connect teachers, veterans, and first-time home buyers with um, down payment assistance. Um, but uh, it's also a contaminated piece of property. And that's scary when we're right next to a school. And so we're cleaning the property up through this process. But I recognize that that's scary and it's an intrusion onto the neighbors. So I have gone on Saturdays door to door, myself as the owner, um, to talk to people. And I talk to people in Spanish or English, whatever makes them comfortable. And I believe that it's those types of things that build trust. But I don't know a whole lot of developers that have that sense of, I am part of your community. Uh, there are a lot of nonprofits who maybe will take mm -hmm. the time to do it. But even, even then, um, I understand that it's an unusual approach, but I think it's the way it should be done. I agree. This is the this is the the work we're doing through this podcast and through other work is about understanding that the power of community that people have a sense of place and they have knowledge and expertise and intelligence about their community that is more valuable than any data you can buy any data set you can buy. I mean, don't I'm not saying don't buy your demographics to understand if your market is there for your business, but there's some, something special that you find in a community by talking to people where they are listening to their in, yeah, their input and being able to synthesize that into the work you're doing that makes all the difference. So uh, you you have my vote of confidence. Um, and I think I think I'm I'm impressed and when I heard you first speak about this, I said I, other people need to be hearing what Vanessa's approach is. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us in your story. So I guess my last question here is what's next for uh, the Guadalupe project? So you've got all your approvals. This is 44 Units for families, mm -hmm. for 44 families. What, broken ground or not yet? Not yet, not yet. Hopefully we will um, this fall. Uh, so the first, the next step is making sure that all of our funding is in place. So this is, uh, we're utilizing HHH bond mm -hmm. money. Uh, we did get an award of that at the last cycle, which is wonderful. So we are using that, that money. Uh, and then we're also applying for what's called TCAC, um, tax credit applications by the state. Um, and also seeking uh, Section 8 vouchers for the operations, and then using what's called new market tax credits and just private equity and construction loans. So each project, this is a $27 million project, right. but each of them has this sort of alphabet soup of uh, funding sources. So we have to put all those things together, which we will for the rest of the year, and then start our construction documents. So we, we kick that off. So we've hired all of our team, and they're drawing and we'll be submitting. So it's a while bef between a letter of support that says, yeah, we want this, and even something starts happening that they right. see. How do, you, how do you bridge that engagement? Do you, do you have regular meetings with the community? Do you have an e-newsletter that keeps them updated? Hey, we got this drawing. It's right. what, what's your approach there? Um, so with Boyle, in Boyle Heights, um, what we do is actually just presented to the Chamber of Commerce last week. Uh, we use uh, small opportunities to keep people involved. So for example, uh, we have ground floor retail. And I was a former retail developer, so I believe that retail needs to be just as important as the housing. Uh, it has to function well, and it should open at the same time as the housing does. So we are designing that at the same time, and um, we're gonna be seeking the tenants. So we're actually gonna go out to the community um, later this summer and let them know, these are our options. 
Um, it's a 100% subsidized project. I believe that the committee should be allowed to select. Uh, we heard years ago that people wanted to replace the laundromat, but then we're hearing now that you know somebody they, they would like uh, something like a Blaze Pizza, you know, something like a right. yogurt land that's nowhere there. Right. Uh, so it's very different viewpoints, and I would like to understand what's real on that. How I do that, um, I think, because it's hard for a lot of working class families to go to community meetings. Uh, I think we're going to go door to door, and we're going to ask pick the tenants and let people pick that way. I don't believe that just having community meetings is actually gonna engage the community. And that's for this community? Yes. The, the idea that you've tailored this to serve this community, whereas your HOA across in Bell Garden? Yeah, Bellflower. Bellflower, yeah. it's a different style of engagement because it's your HOA and they're right next door. Mm -hmm. They do have meetings and they, yes. they're showing up. And so it's really tailoring for uh, what the needs of that hyper-local community is. Right. Uh, Plus my aunt and my cousins all live there, so if I get it wrong, they're gonna tell you. They're gonna tell me. So. Well, with the family your size, you probably could just go to the family reunion, get as much input <laughs> as you need uh, from the neighborhood. Um, this is great. Well, I'm excited to see what's next, and and I hope you'll keep us updated. I'd like to move to our lightning round. I've got a series of questions here. Okay. Whatever first comes to your mind, just give me a word or phrase, and uh, and we'll go through it. So, you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Who is a leader who has influenced you in your work? You know, perhaps my grandmother was a non-traditional leader, um, but she is the person who has most influenced my life. Great. What book has changed the way you think about your work in the community? I know you spent a lot of time studying the, the political science. What mm -hmm. book, or maybe more recently you've read something? Yeah, um, I've actually read a lot of things that have influenced me. Uh, one of the first books that influenced me was Bless Me Ultima, which, gave me the, the spirit of my grandmother after, after she had passed, and that sense of we're all community. Um, but I'm a big uh, fan of everything from like The Alchemist, mm -hmm. uh, about facing fears and uh, trying to be better, to, um, there's a lot of, um, I think it's called The American Dream, about living in poverty in um, United States mm -hmm. cities and how prevalent it is. Great. What's your favorite secret about Boyle Heights that people who aren't from there may not know about that you, that I know we're sharing, but you want them to know? I think, uh, I think the world is Boyle Heights, but um, I think uh, the sense of, of happiness that I feel about things that others may not appreciate. Uh, from you know the meal that you share and laugh about, silly stories, uh, to the food that you can find in the most unlikely places. Gives it, gives it Excellent. Uh, there's, there's a place right at uh, Mariachi Plaza that has the best uh, chile rellenos and just tons of regional food. Um, I, I think it's called Santa Cecilia. Um, that's the, the food is so good. Um, and it's not something that maybe, you know, uh, is listed on downtown's best uh, right. places, but it's just somewhere you have to go. Awesome. What's a community activation tactic that you had to learn the hard way, in a nutshell? I think for me was the sense that I have to go door to door in certain communities, because I've, I hosted uh, in Pacoima community meetings where we gave out free dinner, there was childcare, and I think we had like 10 people come. Wow. 
So then that's when we, um, I had to learn to go right. to their home. Uh, what is the development, not including those you've worked on, mm -hmm. that you think engaged the community successfully? Have you, have you noticed out there doing it? I think um, ELAC mm -hmm. um, in Boyle Heights does an amazing job of engaging the community. They have a very similar philosophy. Um, I've been to their community meetings and they actually invite us to present on the projects that we are doing. Um, they have the same sense that the community has to be empowered and they're not afraid of that. Um, so I'm certainly a big fan of their work. I know you started early and you, had, you talked about being 25. Mm -hmm. But what advice would you give 25 year old you? I'm so proud of that 25 year old. Um, she didn't have the same fear that I have today. Um, is that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> how you get, we get older and sometimes we get more fearful. Yeah, definitely. Even though we have more experience and more ability to do the things that we may be scared of. Yeah, yeah. I think I would, I would just um, want to tell that 25-year-old that, that the failures, perceived failures in life, lead to the greatest growth and change. Great. So keep going. It's going to be a new day tomorrow. What's the best career decision you ever made? I don't know that I've made it yet. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still going. And what so far has been your proudest professional moment? That planning commission for La Guadalupe. Because um, one of the planning commissioners asked why it was named La Guadalupe. And uh, I, I didn't, it, it obviously wasn't a, a personal, they had no idea the personal story I've told you today. Um, but I got to tell them that it was named after Guadalupe Arevalos. And uh, I'm not a highly emotional person, but I, uh, I wanted, you know, I wanted to cry because, uh, you know, I promised her when I was nine. Yeah. And, and to be able to tell the planning commission that it was because of her. And uh, she's not maybe that, that leader that's gonna go in any history book, but she's, I feel like she's the main reason that I've even tried to do what I try to do, so. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Vanessa, for sharing so much with us today. Thank you. I can't you. wait to see what's next. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Community Intelligence. And for more information on this and other episodes, visit our website at stratoscope.com. At Stratoscope, we provide community intelligence services to businesses, nonprofits, and government agencies. Let us know how we can help you.